colonial court decided that there will be a mass expulsion. In mainstream media, we're seeing that thousand Palestinians are set to be expelled. Basil al-Adra confirms that it's actually 2,400 people, which is quite a large discrepancy. According to The Guardian, single biggest expulsion decision since the Israeli occupation of Palestinian West Bank and Gaza began in 1967. Courts of the state are in the business of expelling people from their homes to entrench the militarism. You can't defend expelling thousands of people from their homes so that military can have a place to shoot its guns. Thousands of new houses to be built on that land for Jewish people only. Who's defending that? Zionists. How do you defend that? Zionists lie. Krav Maga is the martial art of taking a woman's hijab off. Palestinians have declared the entirety of Palestine firing zone for as long as there's an occupation. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gazan Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram. And you can call me Mikey Intifada if you find yourself at odds with the Harvard Crimson Review. Yes. Well, before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com. Give us a follow on Instagram at thepalestinepod. Find us also on Patreon, where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes, an additional one to two podcasts per week, including the Patreon Pod, which is a little more laid back. We talk politics, Palestine, pop culture, and get a little more personal. Uh, We're also hosting our monthly Zoom happy hours with our Patreon subscribers only. And we recently launched a Patreon book club where we're going to be reading some of the great classics on Palestinian history, uh, literature current events, you name it. So really exciting stuff. Check us out on patreon.com slash Palestine pod. Okay. So obviously the most striking development this week is the latest ethnic cleansing that is set to take place in Masaf Riyatta. So Basil al-Adra from Masaf Riyatta posted this week, the occupation court has decided that his community will be destroyed. After 23 years of trials and court dates and hearings, the colonial court has decided that there will be a mass expulsion. When we read about this in mainstream media, we're seeing that reports are that a thousand Palestinians are set to be expelled. But Basil has confirmed to us that it's actually 2,400 people, which is quite a large discrepancy in terms of the scale of this ethnic cleansing. Yeah, they were like, hey, 2,000 sounds bad. We'll go under 2,000, right? We'll go, we'll, we'll cut yeah. it in half, actually. In any event, even the 1,000, according to The Guardian, is going to be the single biggest expulsion decision since the Israeli occupation of the Palestinian West Bank and Gaza began in 1967. So, I mean, even the number that they decided was not as bad is actually very bad and it's further continuation of israel's settler colonial project and further entrenchment of 
Israeli settlement on Palestinian land. Israel often carries out the same sort of plan for stealing Palestinian land, whereby it uses the courts. The courts offer this sort of veneer of legitimacy. You know, if if a court does something, it's judicial, right? If there's process, there's like fairness, you know, there's, there's a ruling, maybe, uh, you know, we think that something's been decided, so it's official. And in this particular case, they do something that they often do, which is that the court or the state or whatever it may be designates a piece of land for military use. Yeah, they call it a military firing zone, which just means, means the military is shooting guns here now. Yeah. Couldn't uh, the military just is. not shoot guns there? Like they got a lot they of places. They're shooting guns in a lot of places. I feel like that doesn't have to be one of them. Do they need more places to shoot guns? That's a great question. And also, what's wrong with the existing shooting ranges that they have? The Guardian says, firing zones are used for military exercises, and the presence of civilians is prohibited. So, but that's just what you made up. You decide that. Like, the state is like, it's a firing zone, and we say civilian can't be in firing zones. But you're the ones that decided that. You made that up. You made this whole thing up. Civilians have actually been saying that the military's not allowed in there. You know, pretty crazy. <laughs> right. So here we are in yet another situation where Palestinians are being expelled from their homes. And there's going to be many more stories where that came from. And the fact that this is all sanctioned by the quote unquote, you know, Supreme Court of this state tells you everything that you need to know. When the courts of the state are in the business of expelling people from their homes in order to further entrench the militarism of that state and and, and the violent presence that that state represents, what is this state? Like, what is it? What, what, I mean, is this something that you want to support? It it just, like, there's so many red flags in this story. And, And when you read about this, it becomes very clear that, like, you can't argue and you can't justify and you can't defend this. How do you defend this? Like, in, in what way do you defend this? Expelling thousands of people from their homes so that the military can have a place to shoot its guns? Who, who's defending that? Zionists. How do Zionists reconcile this? How, how do they defend this? They're like, well, we're trying to protect Palestinians from getting shot in a military zone, right? You should be happy that they're not getting shot at. We're trying to get them Except out. They are We're getting to, shot at. Right. They are getting shot at. Well, right? yeah, of course. Well, Zionists lie. That's how they do it. You know, they lie. Yeah. And the reality is, is that, you know, just like in the situation of Sheikh Jarrah, the so-called judges that are deciding these cases are themselves settlers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the guy got up from his stolen house, put on his robe made the decision and then went back home to his stolen home. Right. So it's not like he's going to be, or they are going to be sympathetic to people who are Palestinian and are trying not to have their home stolen. Hamad al-Kurd tweeted that the settler judge living in an illegal settlement in Hebron ruled to ethnically cleanse thousands of Palestinians from lands they have owned and cultivated for 13 generations in Masafariyata, Hebron. Precisely. 
And another Palestinian, Ali Awad, said that when he was one and a half years old in 1999, the Israeli army destroyed my village and threw us homeless, along with hundreds of Palestinians from 12 villages in Masafariyata. We returned to our homes last night, 22 years after the court ruled our villages to the army. So these are people who have been expelled, made their ways back and resisted, and now are being expelled again. Can you just imagine just the back and forth and the and the constantly fighting to remain on your land? This is not a one-time thing. And even if it happened only one time, that would be enough for it to be traumatic for your entire life. Yo, I just realized that if they've been in the courts for like 20 plus years, that they have been fighting for their land longer than some of the soldiers have been alive. Some of those soldiers, you know, terrorist soldier, whatever, they're like 18, 19 years old with a gun, mm -hmm. you know? And these uh -huh. people have been fighting in the courts for 20 plus mm -hmm. years, which means like, had they been aborted, this problem would have been solved. Okay. Some of the things that are frustrating about speaking about this issue is when you look at the stories in isolation, oh, some Palestinians here are losing their homes. Oh, some Palestinians over there. Oh, it was a court case here, you know, and you don't look at it as an, as a, as an orchestrated plan to ethnically cleanse Palestine of all Palestinians. You might think of it as like individual injustices or like individual problems but not really see it for what it is, you know? Yeah. And I feel like for so long, people who have not really understood this topic may have seen it like that, but like the apartheid state is getting brazen because like expelling 2,400 people from their homes, that's a lot of people in one go. Right. This is, I don't know where to go with this, but. Because there's no, there's no, there's not going to be any hope, right? There, what are you going to do? You're going to challenge this in the, the courts, the colonial courts. There's no, there's nothing to do. You have to challenge it with your body. That's all you can do. Yeah. Best is, case scenario is Palestinians are able to resist enough to make them desert the settlement like they've done in previous instances. Exactly. And I have faith that Palestinians will do that. But it's, it's not something that they should have to do. Palestinians should not have to devote their life to putting their bodies on the line, to stopping the displacement and ethnic cleansing of their people from their native homeland. They shouldn't be put in that situation, right? In other news, more <laughs> like every in other news, which is basically the same news that we say every week, more settlers stormed Al-Aqsa Mosque on May 5th, 2022. After they brutalized Palestinians who were at Al-Aqsa to clear the way for these weird settlers who tried to display the flag, which is an insane provocation. Yes. And even the IDF like tackled the people who tried to display the Israeli flag, which is weird because you know. almost never see anything like that. It goes to show you that they are aware of the delicate balance that they are on right now where... Anything that they do could be the thing that creates this pop of, of popular resistance. I mean, when you contrast that image that we saw of the occupation soldier grabbing the Israeli flag with 
what else was happening in the Al-Aqsa mosque compound. And you, you see that there were plenty of Israeli soldiers that were aggressively assaulting Palestinian girls and, 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 and youth and, and elderly. It's almost, you know, it, it's a very strange scene to see because normally it's just brutality and aggression towards Palestinians. And in that one instance, they were like, oh, no, no, we have our limits too, right? I think Krav Maga is the martial art of taking a woman's hijab off, I believe. Yes. The Wafat News Agency reported earlier this week that the occupation handed the family of Khaled Zaytoun an order to self-demolish their home in Silwan within a few days. Zaytoun was seriously injured in the head after being shot with rubber-coated bullets last week by the occupation. And the photos of him after having been shot by these rubber bullets confirm to you that these rubber bullets are not rubber at all. So obviously another situation where yet another Palestinian family is dealing with one of their children being violently brutalized by the occupation and at the same time having to defend their physical home from demolition. In this case, the occupation does what it often does, which is tell Palestinians to demolish their own homes. We've talked about this before. And in many cases, Palestinians do this to avoid fines and, and the army coming and demolishing and, ta- and, and destroying their homes without them even being able to salvage any of their possessions. So this family is being put in that very, very, very impossible, torturous, twisted situation of having to decide whether or not to destroy their own home and make themselves refugees. Truly, truly just a horrifying thing. Another thing may have seen Eye of Palestine reporting a little bit earlier this week, the occupation terrorized a Palestinian family during a picnic near Nablus. And the family had been trying to enjoy the Eid holidays. So again, we see a constant pattern here of the occupation trying to break us in the moments when we are supposed to be our happiest. The video that came out actually that showed the journey from occupied Nablus to Al-Aqsa. This brilliant video that just takes you through all of the trials and tribulations that it takes, like the checkpoints, the stops, the, yeah. the you know interrogations and things of that nature. You know, because it's not easy. It's not easy to get from Nablus to Al-Quds, right? Like the the occupation makes it so that it's very difficult and very troublesome. And that only people who are extremely dedicated can and will go, even though that it's something that Islam calls for, right? Like Islam calls for you to pray at Al-Aqsa during Ramadan and Eid. They know that. I mean, anyone who's been to Palestine knows that if you want to go from point A to point B, it just takes all day, 12 hours. Yeah, It's like, you know, all the the ease with which we navigate our lives if we live in cities or, you know, if we, you know, use our cars or whatever mode of transportation we rely on wherever we live. Palestine is deprived of all of that because it's been forced to remain in 
this sort of archaic state because not allowed to go from point A to point B in the shortest way possible. They have to snake around all of these checkpoints and and outposts and roadblocks. Just like Farah Nabulusi's movie, The Present, you know, you can you get to a point and then there's a barrier and then you have to walk, right? That's what it is. And I just when I I mean I was in Palestine 10 or 11 years ago. And I still remember that when I would decide to go from this village to another village, it was like, okay, I had to, I need to set aside a whole day and I need to figure out how I'm going to get there. And there was always like, oh, you can't do this and you can't go here and you got to go here. And then this guy will take you to this cab and this taxi will take you to this guy. And, and none of it has to be like that. Yeah. But that's how people have to navigate their lives because they can't just do the thing that makes the most sense. Yeah. There were images of youths, jumping over the occupation fence in order to get to Al-Aqsa. So it's an it's a very admirable dedication that people have to you know follow the traditions. And you have to be like nimble enough to jump over the occupation's wall. Right. I don't know if you saw that picture of the occupation's wall. How From the occupation is- side? Yeah. Yeah. They painted like it. Living. They painted it so that it's like more palatable, right? They painted you gotta it. You got to put a picture of it. Yeah, of course, I'll put a picture. But we got to describe what happened. You know, I mean, they painted it so uh, that they didn't have to look at the occupation wall. It's like they acknowledge that it's a problem, and all we're gonna do is put a little right. makeup on it. I heard the paint they use is actually cruelty free, so pretty good stuff. You know, <laughs> right? Not tested on animals, right. vegan, whatever, <laughs> like whatever. Yeah. But on the Palestinian side of the wall, it's all this like liberation graffiti, right? Yeah. It's always like, you know, you know, there's a Banksy and then there's local artists and there's, you know, graffiti. There's murals of Mandela. There's, you know. Yeah, sure. But it's like on the occupation side, it's like a fake landscape. Yeah. Which is a perfect metaphor for the occupation itself, right? Yeah. You ever watch cartoons and see like the Wile E. Coyote yeah. where it's yeah. like he runs yeah. into a wall that's just like a screen of yes. an image. That's exactly what it looks like. And that's exactly. them. Them running full steam okay. at the wall. 100%. Not realizing that it's going to be an issue at one point. Just being like, peace, peace, brother. <laughs> What's this big concrete yeah. thing we look, built? Look at this. Look at this amazing view that we've got here, you know? We're, yeah. we're so lucky to live here. Look at this great fake skyline. And you know what's crazy is Palestine is beautiful. So if there wasn't a wall there, they'd actually be able to see something nice. Exactly. And, 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 and there you have it, my friends. Therein lies the totally stupid logic of the occupation. Yeah. They're like, let's get a two-year-old to paint something. because. It's giving people some feels, right? It's making people a little uncomfortable that they also have to live in this walled up society. Earlier this week, I in Palestine also posted a video, an interview with an Israeli soldier. And the question was, how old was the youngest child you arrested? And the soldier replied, quote, 10 years or even younger. Everyone is a suspect. Every Palestinian is a potential terrorist. Yikes. I am Palestine, man. They're doing great work. Absolutely. 
Yeah, they're super bugging out. The Middle East Eye actually reported uh, some leaked footage that appears to show two Israeli police officers complaining that they were under pressure to shut down an investigation into the murder of 31-year-old Musa Hasuna. They complained that they were being forced to drop the case because of political pressure. It's a case that involves the murder of a Palestinian man. The head of the weapons lab was involved. Even the police officers were like kind of upset at the people involved trying to pressure them to drop the case because they're like, this is crazy. Like, this is an open and shut case. And we're having to drop it because of political pressure. The video was actually published by Palestinian legal center Adala. Adala, but... <laughs> That's perfect. He was shot and killed in the city of Lid in May 2021. And this cop says, I must be dreaming. People have gone literally insane. His colleague says, listen, it's crazy. You know, like they're both acknowledging that it does not make sense. Four Jewish Israeli suspects were arrested in connection with the murder, but they were released three days later. In October 2021, an Israeli court closed the investigation. Israel's central district attorney's office then said the Israelis had opened fire in self-defense, to which the cop actually Funny, said... Right? The cop actually said he should tell that to the minister. Like the cop is in a place where he's making fun of these people trying to get him to drop the case. Some of the suspects that were arrested claimed they fired their weapons into the air. Hasuno was a 31-year-old Palestinian citizen of the occupation. He was killed in the aftermath of the Sheikh Jarrah uprisings. This led to Palestinian protests and then Israeli settler marches in Lid. This is when we spoke to Adnan last year and they were marking people's houses with how many people they were. They were roaming the streets, creating group texts about committing violence on Palestinians. Adala has filed an appeal on behalf of Hasuna's family to reopen the case. Israeli police conducted a negligent, flawed investigation. The legal center says that it's uncovered video footage and other materials that indicate prominent Israeli political leaders unlawfully pressured the police throughout the investigation. So just your casual politicians leaning on the police to encourage more settler violence against Palestinians, just your average everyday case of corruption and negligence is it even negligence can you call it negligence if it's a conspiracy know. you know what i mean like <laughs> if you're conspiring to no, do something it's yeah. not called ne negligence is no. inherently by accident right it's like whoopsies yeah, well, we fried the yeah, wrong guy sure. you know what i mean like oh well let, yeah <laughs> put some Way water on him i don't know you know what i mean but like the <laughs> <laughs> the conspiracy to drop a case for political pressure Seems like you've gone past the point of negligence. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's not negligence because there's intent, right? Right, there's intent. Negligence exactly. is like oopsies, as you said. But when there's like intent, like cons conspiracy is 
you know, there's intent there. There's they planned it. You gotta be. They yeah, had you, meetings you about it. it. Somebody took yeah, notes. Yeah. That's incrimination. Exactly. And then exactly. they're just like, well, but he's Israeli. He's a Jew, so let him go. <laughs> exactly. Oh, whew. Sorry, a little yawn there. That's all right. I'm bored with the <laughs> occupation as well. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, so I'm also tired <laughs> of their bullshit. I wish we could talk about something else, you know, something a little more, you know. Well, we do cover an eclectic mix of issues, according to listening <laughs> post or whatever hey, that was. That was so cool. Yeah, it was nice. That was so cool. Thank you for the shout out, listening Super post. Super duper. Thank you for the shout out. Uh, so in addition to Palestinians being the victims of ethnic cleansing and genocide, we should talk about the fact that Palestinians are actively resisting. Mm-hmm. And we support that. We support active resistance using any means necessary. Speaking of which, there is a massive manhunt underway by the occupation to identify the individuals responsible for the latest resistance act. According to the occupation, the individuals allegedly responsible for the latest resistance act are Subhi Ahmed Subhi and Asad Yusuf Asad Rafai. And this act of resistance comes after the latest provocations of storming Al-Aqsa, beating up and manhandling the women who were praying at the compound, and also just murdering a ton of people who we've covered on the podcast previously. These two men are both from Jenin. According to Army Radio, the two men have not previously been involved in any resistance activities, have not served time in jail, and are not thought to be affiliated with any organization. That is according to the Times of Israel. Hebrew media reports said that the two entered illegally through a breach in the West Bank security barrier. They are believed to have been familiar with the central city and may have worked there. Entered illegally. How do you enter your own land illegally? Pretty wild. They were born there illegally, yeah. apparently. And they're like, yeah, they seem to be familiar with the land. <laughs> Can you imagine them being <laughs> familiar with their homeland? It's right. almost like they have a home court advantage. <laughs> Resistance Act came at the end of so-called Israeli Independence Day, where fighter jets had been flying over the sky that they have recently bombed, and there were fireworks to celebrate the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. The occupation has launched a manhunt for the two individuals. In the speech last Saturday, Hamas's Gaza chief, Yahya Sinwar, threatened violent consequences should Israelis continue visiting Al-Aqsa. He also urged Palestinians to strike Israelis with whatever they had, including axes. Let everyone who has a rifle ready it. And if you don't have a rifle, ready your cleaver or an axe or a knife, Sinwar said. What's a cleaver? A cleaver? Like a big knife, you know, like a butcher's cleaver. Oh, I I don't know, but. Yeah. Hey, but remember when I said by the court or by the sword? Turns out the court's not working. Turns out the court is expelling more Palestinians. Yeah. Turns out the court needs to meet the sword, actually. Or I guess the sword needs to meet the court. I don't know. Either way. Where are the 2,400 Palestinians that are being expelled from Masafari Atta going to go? Where where are they supposed to go? I'm just like (sighs) curious because it's not like they can become refugees in another country. 
I hear Ukraine's nice no. right now. Right. <laughs> I just don't understand. Like, where are they going to go? And these are the questions that nobody asks. Like, okay, the court has ordered their expulsion from their homes that they've been on, you know, been in for multiple generations. But where? Like, to where? Where, where do they go? It's an entire, like, community. 2,000 plus people? Where are they supposed to go? And, you know, it's just the latest in Israel's long list of violations of international law, which would be really great to see Israel held accountable for in some sort of international space. But, you know, I won't hold my breath. I just can't imagine where these people are going to go. Like, it's like even it's one thing to think about one family that's be, being made refugees and, and where are they going to go after they've been forced to demolish their own home or whatever. But where are you going to put 2,400 people? That's a lot of bodies. Parallel to all this, by the way, Israel has announced that it will be building 4,000 new settlement projects. Palestinians could live there. Right. There's about 2,400 oh. Palestinians that are looking for new housing, apparently. Yes. But except that it doesn't because they're not Jewish. Oh, so that's right. Because it's an ethno state. Dang. The Times of Israel reported on May 6th that Israel is set to advance 4,000 settlement homes testing U.S. opposition. Officials deny the report that the White House threatened to nix upcoming Biden trip over approvals, but say it made its position against the plan clear. Wait a second. So now the U.S. bargaining chip with the apartheid state to not build settlements is to threaten to cancel a Biden trip? Don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> like what? Oh like, no, I don't have to entertain my grandpa. Dude, my grandpa's more fun than Biden. What a weird thing to be like. Don't build those settlements, otherwise Joe Biden won't come over. Like, For what? real. Nobody was ever like deciding their plans contingent upon that meat socket's attendance. <laughs> How is this real life, Michael? How is Dude, that? What? How is Joe Biden still alive? Is? Honestly, <laughs> but that's a weird thing to threaten, you know. And then in parallel, I'd actually like to kick him out of his house, you know. I'd like that for sure. The one he's living in right no, now. The best. The best thing is that okay. Here we go. State Department spokesperson. All right. What are you going to say about these four thousand new settlement? homes what are, what are you gonna say All he's right, like we, we believe israel has the right to defend itself <laughs> it's like no oh, we're actually we're talking about settlements can... right now and he's like that's oh, the only oh, thing okay, that's okay, the only so thing what, it says what, what, on this piece of paper so i don't know <laughs> no they do have a one-liner that they always use for the settlements that this damages the possibility mm. of a two-state solution uh yes. Yes it does damage it. You're old. You're old. <laughs> rendering it an impossibility both practically and in theory. <laughs> Your old friend the two-state solution. Rearing its ugly two-state. It's like Medusa of 
political options. Like, don't look directly at it. State Department's spokesperson expresses Biden administration's, quote, strong opposition hours after Israel announces plan to greenlight 4,000 units for Jewish towns on Palestinian land. Strong opposition? What? Like, if by strong opposition, you mean Joe Biden's not coming over, like, something's not adding up here. Words have meaning. And you can't just say them if you don't mean them. Hey, I'm strongly opposed to something. You wouldn't know it based on my actions, right? But I'm strongly opposed. I'm strongly opposed to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but I've dedicated the last 12 years of my life to it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I have given it every waking thought and most of my money. You see the parallel? (laughs) In the same news cycle, the same week, you have thousands of Palestinians being expelled from their homes by a colonial court. Thousands of new houses to be built on that land for Jewish people only. It's almost as if the entire point of Israel was to steal Palestinian land. And kick Palestinians out of Palestine or murder them. Almost as if that's what was happening here. Hey, but define Zionism. Define Zionism. (laughs) But also Hamas. Classic democracy things. The Israeli press, some of these op-eds just look like comedy. I'm looking at Israel Hayom. There's um, one of the op-eds is entitled, Can You Imagine a World Without Israel? Yeah, every day. I'm like, hey, talk dirty to me. Let's go. Right. <laughs> that is pillow talk, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, like, stop. Hey, you better stop it. I'm going to come over there and kiss you on the mouth. <laughs> stop playing with me. <laughs> don't threaten me with Biden not coming. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you'll feel the same once you see the guy who wrote this article. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll kiss his byline. <laughs> another, another op-ed is entitled. The time has come to exact a price from Hamas. Don't accuse us of blood libel, but also let's exact a price of revenge. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why Russia has once again turned on the Jews. Oh, there was that development actually where one of Putin's ministers, I believe his name is Lavrov, he said that Hitler was Jewish. And so that's why like, it's also possible for Zelensky to be in the wrong with having Nazis underneath him. Then Putin had to apologize, which is crazy because he has murdered people recently, but he (laughs) apologized for that. That was really weird. I thought he killed 600 people in a theater like a week ago. Yeah, no issue with that. But anytime there's a PR problem, he's right on it. That, that he was issuing apologies. He's like, wait, this is bad for business. This does not look yeah. good. We need a, yeah. Well, the people he murdered weren't Zionists. So, you know, no apology needed from him. They're doing the thing where like they say something that's so absurd that now anybody who says anything like even similar to what they're saying is viewed as like a crazy person. Here's what the truth is. There are Nazis in both the Azov battalion and on the Russian side. There are Nazis killing Nazis right now. For me, it's delicious. <laughs> I love it. Just said something so outlandish that now anybody who says there are Nazis on the Ukrainian side is going to be viewed as like saying that you're basically like supporting Hitler. It's called Godwin's Law is the internet adage asserting that as an online discussion grows longer, regardless of the topic or scope, the probability 
of a comparison to Nazis or Adolf Hitler approaches. Godwin's law is practiced at every single open mic in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're aware of that. (laughs) Netflix is like, give them a special. So I don't know if you heard, but the ADL has come out recently guns ablazing at anti-Zionist groups, specifically Jewish anti-Zionist groups, focusing its efforts on fighting leftist progressives. Now, a article from Jewish Currents written by Marie Cohen and Isaac Schur on May 1st says the ADL doubles down on opposing the anti-Zionist left. CEO Jonathan Greenblatt argued that Palestine solidarity groups are, quote, the photo inverse of the extreme right, and promised that fighting them would become more central to his mission. This individual, ADL CEO Jonathan Greenblatt, delivered one of the more unhinged speeches that I've seen in recent times, and we lived through a Trump presidency. This guy, I mean, he looks like a hard-boiled egg in a, in a suit, truly. He looks one of, I don't know, I'm, I don't want to keep making fun of his appearance, but uh, he looks bad. I'll put up a but picture. You, but you have to. But yeah. You have to. <laughs> but he's asking for it. But he looks like Mr. Potato Head if he had less features. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So oh <laughs> the ADL now oh. considers Palestine solidarity groups, Jewish Voice for Peace, and Students for Justice in Palestine, as well as Muslim Civil Rights Organization, Council for American Islamic Relations, also known as CARE, to be, quote, extremists because of their anti-Zionist advocacy. Greenblatt announced at the organization's annual National Leadership Summit, speaking into a camera (laughs) in a pre-recorded speech, Greenblatt said, quote, SJP, JVP, CARE, and dare no i'm just kidding <laughs> um epitomize yeah, epitomize the radical left the photo inverse of the extreme right that the adl has long tracked hey if we're the photo inverse doesn't that mean that we're anti-fascist <laughs> isn't that what that means like because you're talking about fascists and then reverse it anti so the adl plans to apply quote, more concentrated energy toward the threat of radical anti-Zionism. Though the organization has long maintained that anti-Zionism isn't necessarily anti-Semitic, as noted in its online glossary, Greenblatt rejected that view on screen. He said that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, calling anti-Zionism an ideology rooted in rage, predicated on one concept, the negation of another people. Surprisingly, the ADL did not respond to questions from Jewish currents <laughs> at the time the article was published. <laughs> Look, we all know what the ADL is, right? The ADL is a propagandist lobby that works to undermine anybody who is threatening occupation at large. They are anti-BDS. They have a long history of surveilling and working with police, the program where police officers go to train in the occupation and learn anti-terror tactics that are then brought back to cities in the United States uh, is a program that's under their supervision. And there was a leaked memo recently that showed that they're aware of the growing public pressure to stop that program. They 
don't want to be perceived as being close with the police, but that's what they are. They want to paint themselves as like this civil rights and civil advocacy group for Jews just fighting the good fight of anti-Semitism when in fact they are actually an oppressive organization that has facilitated spying and occupation-like policing, as well as maligning various causes and people who are associated with Palestine and Palestine solidarity work. So the fact that they're like, well, we're really going to start fucking looking for you now. It's like, what have you been doing? What is, how will we know the difference? Very true. So as early as the 1930s, supported by strong elite provoked anti-communist sentiment, the ADL began carrying out surveillance against movement organizations like the National Lawyers Guild reporting their activities to the House Committee on Un-American Activities. They ramped up their activities during the McCarthy era as the ADL became a proxy for the U.S. government, working as a private spy agency, feeding information to the FBI. The ADL's monitoring of popular organizations continued after the McCarthy period, showing continuities in its use as a tool of U.S. government repression. That surveillance has included spying on the Black Freedom Movement, including Martin Luther King Jr., anti-apartheid activists, and organizers for Palestinian rights. In 1993, the San Francisco District Attorney investigated the ADL for collecting confidential information on nearly 10,000 activists in at least 700 organizations. The investigation showed that the ADL had directly surveilled and infiltrated social justice and human rights organizations in at least seven cities. And its agents had received stolen police files from a surveillance program deemed illegal. The ADL had collected information on groups opposing South African apartheid and U.S. racism, including the United Farm Workers, the Vanguard Public Foundation, the San Francisco Labor Council, AFL-CIO, NAACP, Madre, Greenpeace, and the Center for Constitutional Rights. It also heavily targeted surveillance at Arab groups, keeping files on 4,500 members of the Arab American Anti-Discrimination Committee and Jewish peace groups. Furthermore, the ADL agents supplied confidential information to foreign governments, including Israel and South Africa. Over a 40-year period, that private investigator hired by the Jewish Defense League also independently received money from a South African intelligence agent to provide information on South African exiles and anti-apartheid activists to the white South African apartheid government. The ADL's surveillance mapped closely to acts of violence against Arab American and South African activists. The ADL's infiltrator, Roy Bullock, was a regular volunteer at San Francisco's ADC and often worked on security at the time that Alex O'Day, the office's director, was murdered by a bomb planted at the office door. Bullock had reported to South African government on the California visit of activist Chris Hani just before he returned to South Africa and was killed. Throughout the ADL's history, it has used terms extremist and fascist to describe communist, black liberationists, white supremacists, guerrillas from Central America to Asia, Palestinian popular resistance movements, and U.S. supporters of boycotting Israel, all of whom the ADL has opposed under the banner of championing civil rights. The ADL's opposition to the left framed its work. ADL research director Irwan Suwal asserted in the early 1990s, it's the American left that's the biggest threat to American Jews. In 1992, 
FBI agents noticed that some of their intelligence on the Nation of Islam had appeared in an article written by ADL staff. A few months later, they raided the ADL's office. Along with classified FBI data, they also found that the ADL had a much larger collection of illegal files. A set of dossiers on activist groups had been acquired from the San Francisco Police Department's surveillance unit, which had been shut down in 1990 as unconstitutional. The files had been ordered destroyed, but went secretly to the ADL. There were files from other cities' police departments as well. In the present, the ADL has continued to push back against internationalist intersectional anti-racism and has used its status as the nation's premier civil rights organization to do so. In a particularly painful example, in 2016, the ADL's director wrote a critique of the Movement for Black Lives policy platform using the Black spiritual phrasing of the civil rights movement. He told them to set aside intersectional bonds with Palestinian resistance and instead keep our eyes on the prize. At the same time, the ADL has consistently used the language of civil rights and its position as an authority on them to describe Israeli state military violence as liberatory and Palestinian resistance, including nonviolent civil resistance, as extremist. This habit isn't incidental. The ADL is now a vetter of content for YouTube, where videos relating to the boycott divestment sanctions movement have been censored as hate speech. ADL has also reportedly joined forces with Facebook, Twitter, and Microsoft to, quote, engineer solutions to cyber hate and is building a Silicon Valley command center to house these operations. As Arab American communities were being disenfranchised by the ADL, they were also being subjected to intense violence. In 1986, former Michigan House member and civil rights activist John Conyers called it a national tragedy and convened a federal hearing. The hearing was one in a series of hate crime hearings on anti-Black and anti-gay violence between 1980 and 1988. All three noted its political and dispossessive nature, directed at individuals engaged in public life, asserting Black, queer, and Arab issues as rightful concerns of the larger communities in which they shared. In each case, violence was so often unaddressed by law enforcement that groups found the state complicit. The violence described in the Arab American hearing was catastrophic and heavy with messaging bombings, murders, and assaults on Arab and Muslim community groups had been carried out in every part of the United States. Witnesses laid out how closely anti-Arab violence was integrated with the ADL's delegitimization of Arab citizenship and membership in U.S. political sphere. The bombings, fires, and murders followed where the ADL and APAC had vilified Arab Americans. Arabs had been frozen out of political power structures. Arabs' inability to leverage political responses to the violence against them, the FBI's failure to prosecute any case and the success of the ADL and its partners in casting anti-Arab violence as a rational response to Arab American politics often, quote, succeeded in terrorizing the victims into submission. And this is a part of why, like, a lot of the older generation is opposed to getting involved in politics. A lot of the older generation of Palestinians are tired and scared and they've seen people die, they've seen people be maligned, they've seen campaigns levied against them to have them lose their job, their home, all of their standing in the community. It's a campaign that is chilling people's political speech and engagement on the issue of Palestine. So anyways, oh, they're saying that they want to turn up the heat 
and we are ready for all of the smoke. I feel like the ADL is really irrelevant. It feels like the old wave of Zionism, you know? Yeah. And it's like the new wave of Zionism is just to pretend that Zionism is cool. Totally. Like a so, progressive thing. The new wave of Zionists is like, we're actually the native progressive people. And then the right. old wave of Zionism is like anybody who says anything about Israel is an anti-Semite. Right. And sometimes they mix right. and match, you know, but and like sometimes they mix. Exactly. Largely exactly. it is like new Twitter users who are like, don't dead name Palestine. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I still don't get that. It's so funny okay. to me that they're like, no, no, no. You can't call Israel by its old name. Right. Like Palestine's an old name. That's why we got to call it Judea and Sumeria. Right. The new wave of Zionism is like, like, I am Zionist. Hear me roar. Or like, I am Zionism. I'm indigenous to hummus. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, that's their vibe. (laughs) Every day we say that the occupation is unraveling. The settlers are attacking the terrorist organization, the Occupation Army. People are heckling the politicians for not like killing enough Palestinians. And the Druze population has come out with some misgivings, some some upset feelings. Let's hear what they have to say. A Druze leader said, we give everything for Israel and get nothing. The situation of the Druze villages is really bad, and the heads of Druze authorities are also having difficulties. Head of the Druze community, Sheikh Mowafak Tarif, was interviewed Sunday and referred to the situation in the Druze community and raised allegations against the attitude of Israeli governments throughout the generations towards the community, which he says has not changed even today. We will maintain the connection between the Druze and the state of Israel with all vigilance, he said. We are proud Israelis, but unfortunately, in terms of the state and the governments throughout the generations, they have done almost nothing for the Druze community. Sounds like a pretty shitty deal. They might want to look into that. Yeah, it reminded me of like before I knew what fair trade meant, like it had to do with the working conditions. You know what I mean? I just thought that they were like, this is a fair trade. And I was like... (laughs) $20 for coffee? Like, that doesn't seem like a fair trade to me, you know? But like, whatever. The Druze community has educated men and women who can be in any position. But unfortunately, this too is not yet reflected. And we are still far from giving the members of the community the proper positions and integrating them into society. Unfortunately, the Druze youth who serves the country and finishes three years of service discovers that the other is taking the good places and the Druze youth is left behind. Do you see the story about the occupation, making millions by seizing Palestinian tractors. There are so many pieces to this whole occupation reality. But according to 972 Magazine, data shows that the military with settler backing, obviously, is intensifying its confiscation of Palestinian agricultural equipment. It's interesting that they try and differentiate. They're like the military and settlers. The military, not settlers? Yeah, sure. Settlers and settlers. It's like settlers and then settlers in uniform. You know what I mean? Settlers and company. That's what it is. Settlers and sons. You know what I mean? Like it's a family business. Settlers and sons. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's a good one. So apparently they're confiscating the Palestinian agricultural equipment and then profiting from release fees, which by the way, is the same thing that they do with actual Palestinians. They arrest them and then charge the families thousands of dollars to yeah. get their loved ones back. That used to be called extortion. Torture prisons. I believe. I believe that's what it was called in the legal framework. Yes, you're absolutely right. All of these Palestinian families and villagers are being woken up at like 4 a.m. to the intrusion of Israeli military vehicles on their land that are now confiscating tractors and trailers and, 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 and water containers right at the beginning of the plowing season or when they actually need to use the equipment, right? And then they will say that, oh, we need to confiscate this because it's a, uh, this equipment is being, is located inside a military firing zone. Again, using the excuse of the firing zone. And then eventually they will say, oh, we'll give it back to you, but only if you pay because it was found in a military firing zone. All of Israel is a settlement. All of the people who live there are settlers. And the entirety of Palestine is a firing zone for as long as there's an occupation and apartheid. Yeah. I mean, it's weird that they're like, well, no, this is the firing zone. No, I mean, like Palestinians have declared all of Palestine a firing zone while there is occupation and apartheid. Be sure to not change anything and keep up the norm. It's going well. Hey, just take a look at yeah. the painting on the wall. You know why they painted that? Because they could see the writing on the wall. They decided to paint over it with like a watercolor. The article was a long list of Palestinians who had their fucking equipment stolen and how much they had to pay to get it back. And I'm like, this is so absurd. And I'm just sorry to all these people. Because, you know, when you know Palestinians, you know, for example, that like, you know, they would... Like that guy worked for however many years to buy that equipment or like that equipment was handed down to him because it was like built for this specific purpose to use on this land because like. Or it's like they built it out of materials that like they found at the junkyard, you know what I mean? And made it run on water yeah. or like vegetable oil. Right. It's like all sorts of things. It's, it's more than just like the equipment itself. And then just to know the way that the army just so flippantly is just, it's just like a game to them, you know, it's just a game. It's just come take it, ah, give us this money. We give it back to you. Then we'll take it again. Like, you know what they do with the Palestinian prisoners that are released after they pay whatever. And after they give 30 years of their life to just rotting away in this Israeli dungeon. You know what happens? They arrest them the next day. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's all a game. It's all a game to them. Did you know that you can check if your phone has been infected with Pegasus? Oh, really? How? Yeah. Let's do it live. Currently. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it live. Apparently, there is a useful, free, and open-source tool called the Mobile Verification Toolkit that can check a backup of your device or its logs for any IOC. This is jargon. I don't know what that means. It will scan your iPhone's logs for Pegasus-related processes or search your Android's messages for nefarious links. The tool can be downloaded here. The bad news is it requires some technical know-how and is currently devoid of a simple interface. I don't know. It seems like a good way to get you to download Pegasus. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> then it's like you get it on your phone. You're like, whoops, you got it. Now, <laughs> now you know. Wait, let me. 
I'm going to send it to you. You can just look at it. You know, you're more techie than me, but it's actually, it was developed and released by the Amnesty International Security Lab in July, 2021. And it was specifically developed for the purpose of checking if your phone has pegasus so that has been another episode of the palestine pod thank you all so much for listening check us out on our website www.palestinepod.com follow us on instagram at the palestine pod send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com and check us out on patreon www.patreon.com slash palestine pod folks that has been another episode of the palestine pod thank you all so much have a great day Mm -hmm.